Welcome back to the With Joe Weeby podcast. Uh, I'm Joe Weeby and we're back again exploring the psychological nomad. Hope you enjoyed yesterday's episode on the inner and outer worlds. So let's begin with the traditional nomad and uh, probably our hunter-gatherer ancestors. And of what we know of their way of life, they were much more what we call nomadic, which is that rather than living at 123 Smith Street in Sydney, or Brooklyn, or wherever in the world, obviously they tended to move around a lot more from season to season, or based on um, availability of foods in given areas, or whether they'd taken what they needed from the land for a time. And obviously we understand that there's a lot of uh, animals and our co-inhabitants of the globe that operate their lives this way. Now there were obviously advantages to this in that they didn't become reliant on any one patch of land. They were very free. Or very unchained so that because nature was doing all the cultivating and just replenish it after they'd moved on it's this very sustainable pattern of living with the earth but takes puts much less responsibility and onus on the individuals so that's a win for our hunter-gatherer ancestors now not relying on any one piece of land that's the summary right that's that was the advantage then we had a thing called the agricultural evolution or revolution evolution where we started to cultivate food in fields obviously this is where wheat and things like that um, for example became very prominent now the difference now is that we have this thing i call anchoring which is we're secured to this patch of land so rather than just moving on and not having to worry about wearing one piece of land out or cultivate it, we've now got infinitely, an infinite amount more of work to do in the way of work to do, and also much more to defend. So because the argument at this time is that, uh, you know, if you lost your land and you lost your harvest, you, you essentially lost your livelihood, your food source, and etc. There were lots of battles and actual bloodshed that happened over pieces of land. Whereas before, when we just moved nomadically from place to place, there was much more freedom and there were less actual things to fight over. You can think about that when you reflect on history. How many battles are actually based on a stake for a piece of land? This is why, when the, obviously, this um, the, the whole back backstory of agricultural evolution and hunter-gatherers, obviously anyone who's read Sapiens, right, you understand where... A lot of this understanding comes from but one of the points made in sapiens is that we're probably losing a lot of the reasons for traditional physical warfare because resources are less kept uh, to a piece of land rather than less tangible places and for example you know silicon valley if you conquer silicon valley do you get all the assets of silicon valley right uh, not necessarily so so there's no need to fight over the, the, like the, the bay area or northern uh, california for example so it's really interesting to think about the relationship between land where you drop and spread your roots into, you're now liable to protect. It's part of your livelihood. It's become part of you. You're not just this organism that can lightly move around and exist in any place. You're rooted to a piece of land. In the same way, we're anchored to many things in our lives these days. Often properties, yes, but other things too. Obligations, financial commitments, ideas, memberships, communities. Lots of things keep us tethered. They're not necessarily bad. Some of them are gifts. Some of our obligations and responsibilities, like that of being a parent, for example, 
sometimes a leader in a business or a community, a gift, those responsibilities and things we're tethered to or anchored to might be gifts. Uh, but I think we want to relate this idea to the psychological lightness and the psychological responsibilities and, and anchoring in this episode and this sort of ideal of the psychological nomad. So let's engage. Who are you in the group of friends that you have? If, if your other friends were to describe who you were and the role you played in your friendship group, what would they tag you as? Are you the funny one? Are you the good-looking one who picks up all the girls? Are you the smart one? Are you the best singer? Are you the best athlete? How much of your identity, or your, rather your image of yourself in that group, is tied to one of these labels, these things that give you a very specific kind of image and standing in your group? Now think about how is this different if, or how is your position in the group or your, or your sense of self? How is that meddled with if someone comes into the group who's funnier than you are, who's smarter than you are, who's better looking than you are, who is better at your sport than you are? And uh, I think we always see this dynamic in uh, teenage movies. It's the kind of uh, Buzz Lightyear effect maybe, where Woody's the favorite toy, he's the leader in Andy's bedroom, Along comes this new, you know, um, astronaut figurine, the latest and greatest toy, and upstages him. Now, everyone else doesn't have a problem because none of them had that image of Andy's favorite toy. I'm the leader. I'm the one everyone looks up to and, and, and adheres to. None of them had that image to protect because Woody's got that image. Uh, he's, he obviously struggles. Anyone who's seen Toy Story knows that leads to a bit of a, a conflict. And it's this really interesting thing about being, I guess, distinguished in a field or being seen as number one. It gives you something to protect. And sometimes the only direction you have to go is down. And this is what happens when we attach ourselves to one label. When we anchor ourselves to, I am this person. Ironically, we will not be friendly, we will not befit the category we've been given when an outside party comes and intervenes. Interesting, right? Because why are these things even important? Why is being the favorite important? Why is being the smartest important? And it's important because as we've discussed a lot in this podcast, naturally image is this thing that's always trying to build itself without our kind of full consent. It's always finding a sneaky way to make the rest of you care about something that's ultimately trivial at the end of the day. So for me, I, I just find this ideal of being the psychological nomad. In other words, not planting oneself in any idea or Im so, uh, image of oneself or any one area rather and being spread to only protect that piece of land. To be diversified somewhat psychologically but also diversified in terms of where we belong and who we identify ourselves as. Uh, you know, one of my arguments I normally make is that we should all have thousands of titles. We should never describe as I'm a lawyer or I'm a doctor or I'm an entrepreneur. We should always have thousands of titles. I, I talked about this in episodes 49 and 50 from memory about what you're going to be an amateur at this year and what your interests are and interest mapping, right? And being this diverse person who, who there's so much to that if your one interest disappeared tomorrow, that you'd have all these other elements of who you are to explore and it would just be more time to explore them. They're kind of like 
interest assets, I call them. You're, you're kind of diversified, right? Uh, the psychological nomad. To bring you a very relatable story, in 2018, my colleagues and I decided to stop doing a lot of the not-for-profit and charitable work we'd been doing in Nepal. The, the main reason for that was that we saw that uh, when Nick Abraham had set up, set up a business in this community we're working in, that'd been the most powerful impact we'd seen and also the thing we had been uh, best placed to do to serve this community. And we realized that a lot of the socially pleasing projects we'd done and fundraised for were probably not the way going forward, but they'd help us learn, right? So they were integral, but they weren't things we're going to keep doing going forward. Essentially, a lot of us removed the jobs we had. Yeah, there was no longer a nonprofit to be a director of. Now, mind you, this was an incredible door opener. This incredible networking tool, great way to meet people and get your foot in doors and bring awesome opportunities. Uh, but luckily, we were all kind of doing other things at the time. I had started in real estate. Scott McEwen was doing espresso displays. So this was a, uh, a really interesting time. What Scott always reflected back to me, for sure, which was, which was probably accurate, is that if we had been doing this role full time, if the charity um, had been the thing we were completely committed to and there wasn't really anything else in our life that we identified with or drew meaning from, it would be a lot harder to do the thing we thought was right at the time. And so when I think about this concept of anchoring, especially anchoring your, your psychology or your image to one thing, I think a lot about how that erects numerous biases. Whereas sometimes there's an advantage to being somewhat diversified and not necessarily all in up here. Maybe you spend all your time doing one thing, for instance, but if you psychologically are diversified and are nomadic, you probably thrive and it probably gives you a much healthier perspective probably enables you to fall better into pat good patterns of, and routines of self-awareness, I would suspect, as well. And I think that was just the one example I can point to in my own life where I really thought that that was uh, important because ultimately to stop doing what we were doing was a very ethical and values-based decision. Um, I, you know, how responsible is it to take other people's money for donations for projects that you don't wholeheartedly believe in? So it's certainly based on any decent set of values, that wouldn't have been the way forward. But a lot of people, good people, um, are brought into ethically gray areas because they have so much of an association with the outcome behind something. It's the same way as if you challenge a, a teacher on the education system or you challenge a, uh, a media person on the ethics of doing the news or, I don't know, a... Uh, an author about books being poisonous. Um, that's a bit more of a random example. I don't know where that came from. You know, if someone's whole identity is wrapped in a thing, how objectively can they look at it? Now, what's the advantage of having your whole identity wrapped in a thing completely? You know, I, I don't know. Normally, I can't think of any, but you're free to come up with any, sure. You know, I don't think of this as being half committed to things. I just think about where we invest into our image of ourselves. And the more spread it is, I guess, the more diversified we are against bias, right? 
And I think of it this way, and this is the image I can leave you with. If you anchor yourself to a ship, for example, I'm a lawyer or I'm a teacher, and the ship starts to sink, if you've chained yourself to it, you go down with the ship. Right? Or when you're on the ship, you can participate. You be a crew member, you carry out your role, you do it to the best of your ability. But when you see the ship is sinking, you don't need to come up with a good story as why you should go down with the ship. Or you don't need to deny that the ship is sinking just because you're tied to it. You move on and you jump onto something else and you play a role there. So that's the psychological nomad. So what psychological diversification do you have? Have you anchored yourself to an idea? Is it a political party? Is it a sporting team? Is it any other political or spiritual belief? Is it your religion? Is it your job or industry? What are you anchored to? What do you have to defend at all costs? Just like someone in the agricultural evolution and a piece of land. Something they had to work twice as hard, if not three times as hard as their hunter-gatherer ancestors to maintain for the sake of a better life. What are you putting disproportionate energy into protecting? Because of the image and the story you need to tell yourself. How's that as a thought to start your day? And I, mate, I always think about it too, guys. I don't think I'm just sitting here on top of the, the mountain throwing down wisdom. I think about this all the time. Where am I blind? And how do I diversify so I protect against the blindness or rather reduce it? It's very real. The psychological nomad. I hope you enjoyed that. If this podcast episode would light a spark with anyone or open a door for them, please feel free to share it with them. As I always remind you guys, the best way to open a thousand doors for you is to concentrate on opening doors for others. I never ask for reviews or anything like that. It's not so interesting to me, even though that would be good for the podcast. It's more about having these conversations and then being the person to open a door for someone else. If you believe in the idea, you're now passing on this door opening process. We can hopefully all be opening doors for one another. And then we can have much more or many more rather psychological nomads, right? That'd be really cool. So thank you very much for listening. And I guess we'll see you again tomorrow.